Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Mesher-Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with Father Craig Vosick, a National Eucharistic Preacher and Specialist on Evangelization and Catechesis for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Father Vosick will be in Des Moines speaking at three separate events in November. But before we get to today's interview, let's find out what's on the bishop's mind. Looking forward to Father Vosick kind of uh, inflaming the Eucharistic love and fire that we have yes. and that, so it will be a great uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. Coming off of yesterday's uh, time with a priest of our diocese, Tom Green gave us a little guidance through transitions in the life of a priest. So thinking about newly ordained, thinking about becoming a pastor, thinking about moving to retirement. So it's always a good time for the priest to be together and share mm-hmm. fraternity as uh, hosted by St. Joseph in Winterset. So grateful nice. for the hospitality mm-hmm. that they provided us, Father mm-hmm. Tom Dooley, the pastor. And then looking forward to being with the folks at St. John Greenfield tomorrow for confirmation and on Sunday a kind of mega confirmation of St. Francis with CC with two sessions and a chance to wow. engage him. That kind of winds down the confirmation season for fall until next February as well. And then uh, next week we head right into the uh, uh, preliminary meetings for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops out in Baltimore and uh, a new initiative of the Institute on the Catechism trying to kind of promote evangelizing catechesis. And so Bishop Frank Caggiano of uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut uh, will be representing the Diocese of Des Moines. And I think it's really kind of really saying, you know, how have we, you know, done religious ed well? How maybe is it time to reimagine what we're all about? And so I think that's a very important thing. And then obviously, Election Day next Tuesday, a pivotal moment in the life of our country always. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I won't uh, inflame those who say, you know, this is the most important election, but they're all to exercise our, our citizenship and our Christian faith, that those two are of a piece. They're part of uh, our larger c- concern regard for the common good. And so again, we continue to ask people to prayerfully discern as they look at their candidates in these last hours, maybe focusing the attention a little bit more. How do candidates support human life in all stages from conception to natural death? How do they provide support for new mothers and children? Are they uh, behind the additional financial support for students who attend a non-public school? That, that's school choice, you mm-hmm. know, that either public or parochial, but that the option would be there and financially feasible. The needs of the poor and vulnerable and measures to protect and improve the quality of water, air, and land in Iowa to be good stewards of God's creation, even as we try to bring forth uh, fruits for the land for human uh, flourishing. Recognizing the right of those who practice their faith and worship and their entire lives to serve society in a manner consistent with their beliefs. And we've talked about this before, how the kind of encroachment on healthcare people in particular. But this is something that's touching all sectors of society, including the corporate business world, and then maintaining Iowa's status as a no-death penalty state. There is this uh, uh, unique uh, vote coming up, a constitutional proposal on the ballot about uh, the possibility of restricting the legislature from establishing even modest safety policies regarding related to women, uh, weapons related to weapons and so yes the uh, the uh, right to bear arms is something that we acknowledge but at the same point it must be balanced against the safety and well-being of the populace as a whole so our Iowa bishops our Iowa Catholic conference uh, do not favor this constitutional amendment and encourage people to, to prayerfully say, no, there are certain parameters that we might establish, even as we acknowledge that fundamental right that's entrusted to us by our, our founding fathers. So prayerfully discerning on that front. 
just to prime the pump as we think about Father Bosick in a moment, you know, how we want to continue to create connections and, and the sacred trust in civil society, but the communion that exists among us as we think about how we experience social connections and we're saturated by networks, but we're still looking for a place to belong. And so the Heavenly Father has sent his Son so we can participate in a God who is a communion of love, thanks to Jesus becoming God with us. Jesus greatly desires to eat and drink with us as he did with his disciples, but then he fulfills his desire to become food and drink in the mysterious, miraculous gift of the Eucharist. And so Jesus draws us out of ourselves in forming the church. He never imposes himself, but he is the way, the truth, and the life that realizes our heart's desires. And so we echo that as we go out of ourselves, inviting others to join us, to celebrate in communion with each other, the Eucharist, to experience God's intimate touch and love, and the friendships who are ultimately our destination is heaven. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Hi, this is Matt Wilkham from the Catholic Morning Show. Join me along with Father P.J. McManus for Iowa Catholic Radio's Footprints of God Holy Land Pilgrimage, November 2023. Expert guides Steve and Janet Ray will lead us on this spiritually enriching biblical adventure. We'll visit Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus said, You are Peter. Nazareth, including the Church of the Annunciation, plus the House of the Holy Family. Space is limited. Early bird pricing available. Full brochure and details at iowacatholicradio.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by the Knights of Columbus, Foreman and Pfeiffer Agencies, specializing in life insurance, long-term care insurance, disability income insurance, and retirement annuities. Are you looking for a career? We are in search of men with an entrepreneurial spirit and a strong desire to live Catholic values. Knights of Columbus is seeking field agents to serve throughout the state of Iowa. Visit kofc.org slash careers. The Knights of Columbus need you now, and one day you might need the Knights. That's kofc.org slash careers to learn more. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Mesher Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with Father Craig Vosick, a National Eucharistic Preacher and Specialist on Evangelization and Catechesis for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Father Vosick will be speaking at three separate events in the Des Moines area in November. All are welcome to attend these events presented by The Veil Removed, Sacred Heart Parish in West Des Moines, and Iowa Catholic Radio. And we'll give some further detail about those as we kind of move through our time with uh, Father Vosick. Uh, thank you for making time for us, Father Vosick, and uh, great to have a conversation about something that's central and uh, most, uh, pr- I think, preeminent for us in our life as priests, the Eucharist, and uh, how your own mm-hmm. vocational path and charism, I think the, the gift that you have and how the Church is asking you not simply to be serving the Diocese of Crookston, but uh, serving us in, in a more uh, broader sense of Church in our country. So we're blessed in Des Moines that uh, you'll be able to, to bring uh, some of that Eucharistic fire and, and insights that you would have to us. How Did, did God kindle this uh, whole sense of vocation and attraction to priesthood as a, as a boy? Or, I mean, you're a man of the soil, you grew up on a farm. Uh, was this something that was woven into that, or did this, did this happen later on? Yeah, definitely a man of the soil. I grew up on a farm, definitely right. But uh, the kindling of a vocation was uh, quite not there. Okay. I, I actually, uh, I did not like going to Mass as a kid. Um, <laughs> I was bored out of my mind. I was very active, very rambunctious. Um, so I am. <laughs> um, you sound like a guest we had a few weeks ago, Chris Stefanik, you know, that, that similar sure, experience. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I... I mean, I remember just um, 
going up and down the pew bothering my brothers and sisters and my parents had to like grab me and pinch me and put me <laughs> by the side like sit still little boy you know kind of thing and uh, and that got that got more defiant actually in high school i i resisted mass and i told my parents i didn't want to go sometimes uh, especially like these bizarre masses that we had to go to during the week holy <laughs> bizarre day. holy day and i'm just like coming off all Sunday? saints here <laughs> yeah 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 I mean, Sunday is plenty is what I thought. Um, <laughs> and maybe too much, too much even. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, the, the, call, the call was, as far as I could tell, not there. I mean, God knows, but I, I didn't. Um, and I don't think anybody in my family or none of my friends knew about it either. Well, my mom says she knew it, but I don't know. <laughs> but um, it, was, uh, it was really, uh, it, was, it was not first a call to the priesthood. It was first a call to follow Jesus. And uh, I was a lot happened when I was 19 years old. Uh, January in when I was 19, 2003, I was asked to go play guitar on a retreat, and uh, was I was not going to mass. I was far from the sacraments. I was living a party lifestyle, uh, failing out of college, um, and I went to confession. Kind of like I was kind of pushed into confession um, by this lady who kind of roped me into going on this retreat. It's kind of like and, the old story uh, of uh, Fulton Sheen pushing somebody into the confessional. Oh, he did that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, I, uh, and I made the first good confession that I can, I mean, I can honestly say, I think it was the first good confession of my entire life where I didn't make something up or hold something back. I mean, I just actually made a good confession and uh, experienced a profound liberation from um, the bonds that were holding me down and just like a weight of the world. Really, people talk about that. I felt that. Not that you have to feel that in confession, but I really felt it. So that was the first thing. And then um, I decided from there that I was going to live for Jesus. And it was a couple months later. Uh, I was at Mass, an evening Mass. And uh, as the priest was at the altar, he paused for a moment between the preface and the Eucharistic prayer and just commented on what was going to be happening at the altar. I didn't hear a word he said. I just know that he paused there. And as he was speaking about whatever he was saying, uh, what was experienced inside of me was, this is what I want you to do. And I was like, be a priest. Like, no way. Uh, not like, no way, like, I, I don't want to do it, but like, no way I can't believe you to ask me because I'm, I was such a loser a couple months ago. Like, I was so far from you a couple months ago. You know, so this is just like, you got to be kidding me. This and people crazy. around you in church are are you talking to yourself, man? What's going on here? Yeah, yeah exactly. So then I was in the seminary that fall. I mean, it was Gene's wow. uh, March uh, invitation and uh, August application, and I was in the seminary. Catapulted! Wow, wow. And, and so the vocation director thought there was something genuine there, even though it was kind of fast tracking you in that way. So what yeah, a, what a conversion! W- yeah. Willing to take a risk, yeah. Okay, and, and again, it's a process. So you know, one starts, you know, yeah. you know, that first phase of things. So well, and marvelous. And so kind of fast forwarding because you know we wanted to talk about the Eucharistic revival and all your role yeah. in it. But uh, do you think that background? And by the way, you've probably just given. Hundreds of thousands, hundreds or thousands of parents, uh, encouragement and hope here as they struggle to to communicate faith to their own uh, young people. But um, how, you know, your work with uh, college students, particularly athletes at the University of Mary, and you had you had entrusted over four hundred athletes there. How could you relate to them? How did this give you a kind of natural rapport and connection with them? Yeah, so I, I really I kind of walk in this invitation from. Um, Pope Paul VI and Pope John Paul II of 
these these phrases that were kind of brought over and over again, which is that the modern person is not looking so much for teachers but witnesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they do listen to them as teachers, it's because they're first witnesses. And so I, I do try not like out of some sort of sense of like drawing people to myself or arrogance, but but sharing with people like where I've been and and what I've gone through and and what the Lord has done in my life. Um, and then oftentimes, because I mean, you look at a priest, you look at a bishop, you look at a religious person, you're like, well, they've always been that way. They were born, they came out of the, they came out of the mother's womb wearing an alb or something like that. It's like, well, no, like, scary. So I tell them, like, scary. Oh, man, what been up to? <laughs> and, uh, and they, uh, they're drawn in. It's like, oh, this is a human, you know, the human, we're drawn through humanity because we're humans, right? So, um, and so I just share with them, you know, where I've been and whatnot. And they, there's immediate rapport because like, well, yeah, we're going through things like that too. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know, I know we're humans. We're doing this. So, um, so yeah, my, my story and then, um, the hope I think, and the, the, the fact that there can be a change and that we're not like, if we sinned or if we've fallen down or if we've gone away, like that's not a, that's not actually a, a wall for God at all. Uh, but rather he wants to draw us. He's just going to draw us. And, uh, I think it gives a lot of people a lot of freedom and courage, um, permission to uh, to to come back to the Lord. Uh, so I think it's beautiful. And they sense that rapport in you, and you're one who knows. You know what it is to be touched by God's mercy, and then to be the minister yeah. of mercy in that uh, privileged place, which is not, as Pope Francis said, a torture chamber, but it's mm-hmm. truly the oasis of, of acceptance and unconditional love that God extends mm-hmm. to us as He touches our hearts. So, so. You know the the opportunity to to study uh, at the Pontifical North American College and the the, uh, the Angelicum uh, was that where you made acquaintance of the missionaries of charity while in Rome and, and kind of service there and became uh, yeah I, was I don't know a chaplain or how you would describe your ministry with them uh, first it was just as a volunteer I was a seminarian I would go down to the the, the soup kitchen for homeless men. And, um, and a shelter for women, and I would go down there and, and spend time with them that way. But then it was through that that I was then drawn drawn in by a couple of the priests who were chaplains for them to start working as a chaplain, as a deacon with them, giving some homilies or whatnot. And then as a priest, I was celebrating mass for them every week um, at their at their one of their convents. And then through that, uh, was that, that in Minnesota was, or where was like that? Three to go every. Yeah. This was in. Uh, What's that? Oh no! When you're in second cycle, yeah, they're in Rome, yeah, to celebrate. Yeah, so I'm in Rome yeah. there at the at the NAC, and uh, and then from there I just went all over Europe and started going all over the world uh, with them and through them to ex- experience the Catholic world because they speak English wherever they are, and so they draw you into the Catholic world because they're nuns, but they draw you into places that you can speak a language that you understand. Like I don't know the hundred languages, 150 languages of the world, but they draw kind of an English audience um, and into the life of the of the place. So it's a really beautiful way to to see the Catholic world and see the world through to the missionaries of charity. So one brief insert, and then we'll move to the Eucharist more directly. But uh, uh, I was aced out, uh, actually, in Kansas City of seeing the movie, the documentary on Mother Teresa. Did you get a chance mm. to see it, and did it ring Did it ring true for you? I've seen uh, a lot of films on Mother Teresa. I haven't been able to see the new one yet. I've seen the excerpt, uh, particularly with my work with the revival. I've seen a two-minute excerpt on uh, Holy Mass and the Eucharistic devotion of the sisters, which was really brilliant and beautiful. Uh, but I, I look forward to seeing I'm kind of in a remote area, so it's not easy to get to a theater that would have it. Uh, but I look forward <laughs> to seeing it. I know the Knights of Columbus had a, a great success, and they're going to show it again. So I, I look forward to seeing it when it comes. Okay. 
So uh, uh, the Des Moines Connection, my predecessor, uh, Emeritus Bishop Richard Pates, was an administrator for a bit there in Crookston, the diocese. Uh, he offered some perspectives, and obviously he, he's never one to let moss grow under his feet, so he made, a, obviously, <laughs> an impact in his months there. <laughs> Bishop Andrew Cousins, who really is the overseeing the, the National Eucharistic Revival, so God's providence, uh, putting you together and your own charism, and so now you're collaborating with him. Is that right? Could you un- kind of describe your role now for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops? Yeah, so I suppose it's threefold, and it's, it's tied to, to Bishop Cousins. First, there was um, a group of people who were putting together a list of, of priests who could be um, used throughout the country and, and preach on the Holy Eucharist um, in a very particular way that the Bishop's Conference wanted, and, and someone had nominated me, or I don't even know how that was. This was before Bishop Cousins was the Bishop of Crookston. Um, but then when he beat, so I was one of these 50 or so uh, preachers that were going to be going around the country. So that's one thing I'm, I'm up to these days. Uh, and then after Bishop got to Crookston, he's like, well, this is great. We already have a, a man from this diocese that's uh, helping with this. And so then he invited me a little more closely into the work. He asked me to come to an executive meeting that they were having. And then um, and it was a really a brilliant weekend uh, with a number of collaborators uh, around the country working on the revival, and um, then I was asked to, to step onto that community officially, so um, on the national executive team. And then from that, what the pre- there was one priest who was appointed to work is- especially for the revival, and that was his full-time task. Well, then he got kind of bumped up at the at the bishop's conference to oversee a different area, and so they were left with a little bit of a gap, and, and Bishop uh, said, well, you're already doing these things, why don't, why don't, why don't we have you do that? Uh, so it's just kind of, kind of continued that way. So I threefold, I'm a preacher that goes around the country at people's invitation, uh, and I work on the, the national strategy for the revival as far as it is a national movement. Um, and then I, and I work full-time on the day-to-day uh, collaboration and, and execution of, of various things on behalf of the, the revival. As the church does when there are gifts there, both natural and spiritual, the, the church kind of <laughs> taps those people again and again. And so the multiple mm-hmm. hats that you wear. Now, this is not an antagonistic question anyway, but did you have to audition for the role of being a Eucharistic preacher? I mean, uh, did you have to submit uh, clips of your preaching? or how, how was that vetting carried out just on the testimony? Right, there was. Yeah, preaching? there was. There was a vetting. You're exactly right, because they wanted to make sure uh, because the United States bishops are responding to uh, a number of things. Well, one, we have COVID that caused a lot of difficulties, and there's a lot of people who haven't started coming back to Mass. But also there's these, these, these disturbing um, results of different polls, and I know people are working on making sure those are accurate and whatnot, but still uh, kind of disturbing results on the lack of understanding of the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist or a lack of understanding of what the Catholic Church actually teaches or things like this. So they wanted to make sure that they had... They had priests who could clearly communicate what the church clearly teaches, and so they did kind of they did a background uh, of different ways and, and looked into their lives uh, and their preaching and their theological education. And then we all gathered. It was really really beautiful. We all gathered in Chicago, uh, the fifty plus preachers, and we were able to go through the bishop's document, the mystery of the Eucharist and the life of the church, and look at sacrifice, look at real presence, look at communion, look at our response, and to look at what the bishops have. Uh, signed off on overwhelmingly majority of the of the bishops saying this is a good document. And they're like, okay, study this, and then we had some teaching from some of the bishops on here's how here's how we would ask for you to share this so that there's kind of a common voice of the teaching of the church. So we did that together. So not only a vetting, but then a formation, which was really beautiful and time of prayer. Um, so it was really exceptionally done, and uh, I'm delighted to to be able to assist with it. Yeah, and uh, 
Thank you for mentioning that document. And again, where the bishops were last year and the trajectory from June to November, I think it's truly a work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not patting myself on the back in any way, but I just mm-hmm. think uh, collectively, and of course the work of uh, Bishop Kevin Rhodes of Fort Wayne South Bend and, and the whole Committee on Doctrine that prepared that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I probably read it five times, and uh, it mm-hmm. continued to tap into things, and it kind of just really feeds my own faith, and I think feeds uh, the preaching. And uh, again, I need to commend that to, to all of our priests, again, as something to, to look at, you know, whether we're anticipating the Gospel of Matthew, we know our Holy Father talked about the kind of art of presiding at Mass and uh, the dispositions that should be that in that uh, exhortation that he had on uh, Desidero Desideravi, you know, I greatly desire. But uh, marvelous. I mean, this is really encouraging to hear this. I mean, in some ways, every priest should be a, a Eucharistic missionary, right? Able to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. unfold this, right? And that this is uh, right. kindling their own vocation, but uh, their great love. But uh, I think it's, it's, it's fitting and just that we have designated people because I think there's that sense, too, of, of being sent out, and that's certainly for diocesan. But then the broader church, and, and let's face it, there's a human dynamic that we're, our receptivity is somebody who comes to us from somewhere else, and I think uh, that's going to be a great blessing for us in the Diocese of Des Moines. Uh, we've got about a, a minute before we take a little break here, but uh, there's three phases of the National Eucharistic Revival. Some of us tried to maybe, as the pandemic unfolded, already undertake some initiatives and different things that are going on here. We were blessed to have a kind of a moment of... Uh, Eucharistic review. We had a, a procession downtown in Des Moines that probably gathered about 400 people on a, a late August Beautiful. Sunday. And uh, mm-hmm. it's truly inspiring. Some people said this has been the, the, the most beautiful moment in their, in their life as a Catholic, wow. you know, awesome. and others just really build up the brothers and sisters. But, uh, you know, so parish revival and then looking on this trajectory, but I can see as the the clock is ticking here that I've set something up so broadly uh, that we want to be able to kind of unfold that. But uh, how on a national level, your your role there and uh, different parts that you've been. But I'm going to kick it over to Kelly, Father. Sorry. So sorry to tease you and then uh, push the pause button here. No problem. We're going to take a quick break. and to return, we'll continue to visit with Father Craig Vosick, a National Eucharistic Preacher. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by the Sarah Vocations Ministry, including the St. Sarah Club of Des Moines and the Sarah Club of Council Bluffs. Sarah is an apostolate of the Worldwide Catholic Church dedicated to fostering and supporting priesthood and religious vocations. Sarans strive to accomplish their mission through prayer, fellowship, and service to the bishop priests, sisters, and all in religious formation, and in doing so to increase their own holiness. Learn more at joinsara.org, join S-E-R-R-A.org. Thank you, Sarans, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Hello, this is Steve Ray. Join me in Iowa Catholic Radio on the journey of a lifetime with a Footprints of God pilgrimage to the Holy Land, November 11th through the 20th, 2023. We'll visit the places where our Lord performed miracles, including the Mount of Transfiguration, the Wedding Church in Cana, Tabga, where Jesus multiplied the loaves and fish, and of course, the Holy Sepulchre. The scriptures will come alive as I offer expert teaching along the way like I always do. Visit iowacatholicradio.com for all the details. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Making It Personal with Bishop Jones, and we are back with Father Craig Vosick, a National Eucharistic preacher who will be in the Des Moines area for a few events next week. So I want to be sure not to get crunched for time at the end of this last segment. So, Father Vosick, you're going to be uh, engaging uh, our faithful and others who maybe are struggling in their Eucharistic faith. Saturday, November 12th at St. Pius X Parish in Urbandale, where you'll explain the mysteries of the Mass You'll be speaking at 8 a.m. and what happens at the altar and kind of maybe like that own moment that your own heart was opened up as a, as a young man. Then uh, continuing through with that uh, weekend, uh, Sunday and Monday, November 13th and 14th at Sacred Heart Parish in West Des Moines. You'll be preaching at the Masses and speaking at a parish mission, I believe, in the evening that night, uh, 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. on Sunday and Monday, November 13th and 14th talking about uh, the mystery of the Eucharist, some miraculous conversions, and the power of the Mass in the Eucharist. And on Tuesday, November 15th, from 12 noon to 1 p.m. at St. Augustine in Des Moines, the Women's Mosaic Luncheon on unpacking, Unlocking the Power of the Eucharist. So multiple sponsorships by the Veil Removed, Iowa Catholic Radio, and the parishes themselves. So back to the, the national movement and the three kind of phases of this and how you envision this unfolding in, in conjunction with Bishop Cousins and all who are involved in this. Yeah, so uh, I'll start with kind of a, an, an image uh, or a, a story that kind of encapsulates where we find ourselves. Um, we've, we've launched, as a, as a church in the United States, a National Eucharistic Revival. So we're hoping that everybody knows that we've at least launched this, right? Uh, we're kind of still working on making sure that everybody hears that. But, um, but there's, there's two dynamics. One is that there's going to be you know, a, a national um, uh, invitation, a national uh, promulgation, a national uh, directive, you know, these different things from a, from an official standpoint, from a hierarchical standpoint, or from how we want to look at it. But um, at the very heart of the National Eucharistic Revival, the hope is that it is a grassroots movement of God stirring the hearts of the faithful at whatever part of the church they find themselves, in the pews, at the altar, in the chancery, wherever they are, uh, that the Holy Spirit, that we would give freedom to the Holy Spirit to burn within us, to to uh, enkindle Eucharistic love throughout the throughout the United States. And so um, what, what we've been doing is uh, hearing from people, and they're saying, yeah, I heard that there's a National Eucharistic Revival, but then I didn't hear, like, what I was supposed to do, so I'm still waiting to hear what's next. And, um, and so there's, there's two parts to that. That's kind of where the... the, the we're getting uh, we have to get get this thing figured out there's two parts to that one is yes there will be more information coming of course from the from the national eucharistic revival uh through different phases but the there was kind of a really playbook the, released not long ago right right there yeah. was a playbook as well but the hope is that each person who says i realize there's a eucharistic revival that that person would then turn to themselves and say what am i going to do about it not what is someone else going to tell me to do, but what am I going to do about it? So this is what we're really going to hope to move toward. So the first year, you know, and it's going to take time to get to that, right? So the first year is the diocesan phase. So that's why a lot of people in the pews maybe aren't hearing a whole lot, because we're working with bishops and dioceses, diocesan offices to, to assist them in building uh, the capacity to serve the parishes in the parish year. So the first year, diocesan year, kind of behind the scenes, working with chanceries, bishops, various other persons. And then the second year, starting Corpus Christi next year, that's where it's going to be in the pews for sure. You know, it's the, it's the parish year uh, where dioceses now have been equipped uh, with some materials 
thinking about it, strategizing for themselves, can now launch into the parishes, be at the service of the parishes, to do whatever the parishes sense that they are able to do and want to do for uh, for a revival. In a particular way, Bishop Cousins continues to hearken this. He's hoping, we're hoping, that during the parish year, um, any parishes that have small groups, that they would extend even more and more small group opportunities throughout that year for new waves of small groups to, to be bound together and to study the gift of the Eucharist and the life of the Church just in various ways, whatever resources they would want to use. Unfortunately, Father, about 15 seconds groups. here, so and then the right. Right up, though, I appreciate that. But then the last year culminates... And the last year culminates in the National Revival uh, Congress in Indianapolis in 2024. Tremendous. So again, Bishop, uh, uh, not Bishop, <laughs> Father Craig Boston, who knows someday what God has in store, but uh, Saturday, <laughs> November 12th, 13th, 14th, through Tuesday the 15th, Father Craig Bosick, uh, please be sure to avail yourself of this uh, great uh, anointing that will come upon the Diocese of Des Moines. This has been another edition of Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Making It Personal is provided by Sarah Vocations Ministry. Learn more at joinserra.org.